Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I used to get a buzz out at Robin, getting in trouble, of course, getting locked up. We turn our phones off in the evening, and it's great. I just think there's too many other things going on in life to enjoy. The government putting that up now is just, it's not even the nail in the coffin. It's they've dug the hole and they've thrown you into it. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Yeah, don't worry if you didn't get that password this morning for the 10K toy giveaway. I will give it to you again uh, over the next while and we'll play another round of the game between 11 and 12 today. So don't worry if you didn't get it and you didn't write it down. I know people are very busy around breakfast time. I'll have it for you at some stage soon. Give you today's password. D- did I hear a story in the news there about um, um, Ishka Aaron or Watering Ireland or Ireland Water, whatever they're calling themselves this week? D- did I hear a story there about flushing on the north side? Have they just discovered that there's manky water in the pipes? Have they just discovered that people's kettles and cups and baths and sinks and showers have been brown for the last eight or ten weeks or however long they were ringing me about the other morning <laughs> be interesting to see now will they actually do something about it they're talking about flushing out didn't they have callers on here earlier in the week saying oh yeah they've been flushing it out and it's grand <laughs> and then the next day the brown stuff is back again we'll follow that one up good morning to you 0818 96 96 96 the number the text of whatsapp 083 396 96 96 and of course your email his opinion at 96fm.ie. Let's go straight back to the newsroom. Maureen, the latest, if you would, on that traffic collision near Carrigna-Navarra. I know it was a couple of hours ago, but it's still an ongoing Garda investigation. That's right, PJ. Yeah, so this happened. The alarm was raised. It was about 10 to 7 this morning. And it's been described to us as a high-impact single vehicle collision. Now, it's happened in the Gertnalahi area of Cardinavar, and it's on the road there to Bottle Hill, uh, for people who might be familiar with that area. Uh, not far there from Cardinavar. So uh, the road is currently closed and diversions are in place. Now, I'd imagine most people are probably at school at this stage and at work. But if you are on the road, just allow... Maybe 
maybe some extra time if you are going out and about. So as I say, the alarm was raised about 10 to 7 this morning and several units of the emergency services from both the city and the county responded. So we fire crews there from mm-hmm. Mallow, from Ballyvalan and from Anglesey Street responded. The Gardaí are at the scene as well and uh, what they've been telling us so far is that the road is currently closed, diversions are in place and uh, yeah, Garda investigations are continuing and my understanding is that um, that road will remain closed for a number of hours. As I say, a serious collision um, described to us earlier this morning as a high impact single vehicle okay. collision. And that investigation is ongoing and if we get anything more during the morning we'll come back to you. Now, nobody likes to hear bad news on jobs at any time of the year but three and a half or four weeks to Christmas. Some very worried people, my read, out at VMware. That's it, PJ. Yeah, very close to Christmas with this news. And yeah, it's VMware in Ballincollig. So there is fears there of job cuts. So I suppose to just delve into the story a bit more. And so VMware, a lot of people probably will be familiar with the name um, of VMware, you know, and it's a big employer out in the Ballincollig area and has a longstanding presence in Ireland. I mean, uh, the campus was the company first set up in Ireland in 2005 and then they established the Ballincollig campus uh, backed by the IDA and in 2020 opened the new research and development hub in Dublin. So there's been quite um, a lot of, of work from VMware in Ireland over the last few years. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's fears of job cuts um, hitting Irish employees. So Broadcom, it's uh, known as a US semiconductor company and they recently took over the global cloud computing firm which is VMware um, so staff at the Cork campus, they received an email yesterday morning uh, telling them that the firm has entered what's known as a consultation process and there is fears now that this could lead to a wave of job cuts across the company's Irish arm. So VMware it's now going by VMware by Broadcom following the takeover, it employs more than 1,000 people across Ireland and last year, uh, they announced that it would create 200 further jobs and they were set to be filled now by 2025. Now, one month, I mentioned there the R&D hub in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a month after that, it was reported that Broadcom had entered talks to acquire VMware with the prospective transaction labelled a blockbuster deal that would propel the chipmaker into a highly specialised area of software. Now, shortly after that deal was signed, one of the largest in tech history that deal was, it yeah. faced tough regulatory scrutiny worldwide and the companies were forced to delay the closing date three times following some hostility from the Chinese government. Right. Now, China's regulatory approval, it came through just last week, right? So amidst ongoing tensions with the US around tougher chip export control measures, uh, this had prompted fears that the deal could not close right before its final deadline and that deadline was the 26th of November. Now, the delays here, it left more than a thousand Irish staff in limbo. So they knew that this process was ongoing and <laughs> many were left uncertain of what would happen if the deal was not closed within the deadline um, but staff members now they remain fearful as uh, just one week since the completion of that takeover it's been reported that Broadcom has already started cutting hundreds of jobs mm. across the US and the future of the Irish base uh, which was VMware's third largest location prior to the takeover uh, now clouded once more with uncertainty so there's been uncertainty for a time now there's further uncertainty because of um 
what's going on in the US with the cutting of hundreds of jobs. So yeah, very uncertain time for staff of VMware, as we say, very mm. close to Christmas. Um, it can't be an easy time. Um, no. So yeah, that's that's the latest on that. Yeah. We're waiting for a comment from Broadcom to see um, how this might progress. But yeah, very uh, tough time, but they're in a consultation process now and uh, there is fears there that it could lead to job losses in the Irish operations. Well, here's hoping, Maureen, that if they do come, that there won't be too many of them. Appreciate that. And if we hear any more, uh, certainly bring it to you. VMware, I remember being out there in my newsroom days, being out at the launch of the VMware campus in Ballancolic, and it's cloud computing. And I remember at the time, they were telling us, this is the future. The cloud is the future. And it is going to generate tens of thousands of jobs. It has created tens of thousands of jobs. But then you have takeovers, and takeovers are ruthless things. And when you pay $69 billion for a company like Broadcom did, then you're going to cut your costs when you get that over the line. So we're thinking of the people at VMware. Imagine being in that situation. Something's going to happen with your job. You don't know whether the news is going to be good or bad. It's three and a half weeks to Christmas. You'd feel for them, wouldn't you? You really would. 0818 96 96 96. And that situation with the crash near Carrigdevar. If we get any more, you'll be the first to know. Here's the thing I spotted this morning. Comes, I suppose, of, on, on the back of the riots in Dublin and the stabbings before it and the gathering of a mob. And we heard that clip on Friday, which I have no intention of playing again, of just a mob being being gathered from all corners of Dublin to come in and the words being used, well, they can't stop us all. Here's the thing. Would you like the Gardaí to be able to access Facebook or any other social media? Reading here from the papers this morning, Gardaí will be able to access and intercept private conversations on social media under new legislation. This is the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, promising to crack down on crime following the riots. <laughs> the paper says that she's battling to save her political career, which I guess is not an overstatement at all. The Cabinet has given approval for new legislation that would permit the Gardaí to force Vodafone, other providers, to hand over details of conversations. You'd wonder, can they get at things like WhatsApp under this legislation? Can they get at things like Instagram messaging, Facebook messaging, Rumble, Telegram? For everyone that you know, there's a social media platform that you don't. And maybe the guys are going to be given the power now to intercept the social media platforms and read the messages that we di- we don't know about. Like I have them. There's things like Signal and Telegram. There's one called Rumble, which I don't know anything about. There's a few more. And the message messaging system on those were used to spark up that riot last week in Dublin. Now the guards may have the powers to insist that messages be handed over. What would you think about that? Look, any guard with three functioning brain cells, and most of them do have, and many more besides, if you don't watch the security on your Facebook messaging, well, well, they can get into it anyway, like anybody else can. And I have no doubt in my mind, and fair play to them for doing it, that if they're investigating somebody and they need to find out more about their communications, have a look at Facebook 
And if their security isn't as tight as it should be, yeah, off you go. Study away. Get the, But if the Facebook page, I'm just using Facebook as an example. If the Facebook page has the security at the proper level, these powers, as I understand it, someone will correct me if I'm wrong. So if your face, I'm using, I'm just using Facebook as an example. So if your Facebook messaging is secure as it could be and can be, and we all have been told a hundred times a day, make sure that your messaging is secure. Even if your messaging is secure, the Gardaí, if they're investigating you with connection to something, can demand to be let see it under these powers that uh, Helen McEntee is intending to give them or hoping to give them. So how would you feel about that? That no matter how private your communications, if the Gardaí deem you a suspect in something, they can go to the social media provider and demand to be let look at your messages. I don't have a problem with it. I think some people might, though. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. With your local mace, amazing value, sure to make you smile this Christmas. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The weekend. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors for the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Fully electric, fully connected, and full of new ideas. NewmarketVolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. If anyone gets notice in the door are contacted by Irish Water or Ishka Aaron on the north side this morning, or indeed on the south side, because we know there's been manky water in parts of the south side too. Let us know, because I find it quite amusing. We filled nearly an hour this morning of complaint, or the other morning of complaints from various parts of the city. And now it's in the news that Ishka Aaron are trying to do something about it. God, I never thought we'd that much power, lads. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, 0818-9696-96. If you hear from them, let us know. Yesterday morning I was talking to Annette about how she was nearly scammed through Vodafone, but she, she followed it up. And this Vodafone message going around saying that your service will be disconnected because you haven't followed rules and regulations. It's a complete and total scam, lads. And there's loads of them. And no matter how careful you are, you can get caught. Joined by, on the line by a friend of the show, George Hook. George, you nearly got caught. And this was a, a perfectly legitimate complaint that you made to your internet provider. They were sorting the problem out, and then the scammer intervened. Morning, George. Morning to you. Well, the reason I'm doing it for you really is not that I want to tell the whole world that George Hook is an idiot, but rather uh, as a sort of a public service warning in a way mm. on the basis that if George can get caught, anybody can get caught. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That this is not about 
like being a dope. Now, let me fill you in on what happened. My internet had been down for a week. Provider rang me on the Wednesday and said, listen, George, we'll have somebody out here uh, and we'll have it sorted. Great, says I. Following morning, phone rings. Hello, how are you? Uh, we're naming the internet provider. Uh, we're on about your router. Great, says I. It's been down for a week. Uh, so she says, oh, well, now I'm putting on to my supervisor. So then I'm on to another one. Now, the voice here is sort of Indian subcontinent, okay? Mm -hmm. Which would normally, uh, you know, trigger a thought in your head. But mm. there's no thought in my head because I was speaking to the provider yesterday. Yes. And let's face it, and this is also very important, uh, at a time when there's a lot of other stuff going on, which I'm sure you've covered about migrants and so on, um, this economy is now hugely de dependent on people from other countries. Sure. So sure. therefore, getting a phone call from somebody with a different accent is not all that surprising. No. You know, mm -hmm. um, so been anyway, there, George. I had that myself at one of my own providers. So yeah, I know what you mean. So anyway, she 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 says to me, uh, "Look," she said, um, "I've I've been speaking to our account manager, and he has approved a refund for you for four hundred euro uh, because of the pain and sacrifice you've been through." Great, says I. But I only want my internet back. So she says, now what we're going to do, through your mobile phone, um, and you'll have, you'll have to give me your mobile phone number, through your mobile phone, we'll be able to temporarily get your internet up and running. Fine, mm -hmm. give her my mobile phone, rings me back. And now she says, what I need you to do, this is unbelievable, what I need you to do now, she said, is go to the App Store and download TeamViewer. Now, for the people not being familiar with TeamViewer, this, this puts her in control of my phone. Yeah. She can see my phone, right? But after all, it's a, my trust or the internet, friend. So anyway, she's on. Now she said... Can you see on the side of your screen there uh, a graph? I can, says I. What's it say? 10% says I. Great, she says. That means your internet now is up by 10%. And what probably it means is that they've got 10% what's on my phone, but that's, I'm not thinking about that. So anyway, she says, now we also have to process the refund and she said, uh, I, I have your card number because my card number is on my phone. So now yeah. she can see that. So she says, I have your card number. So that's great. And uh, keep an eye on the percentage because obviously we want your internet up and running. Great, says I. Now, slightly now, very slightly worried because of the accent, I have to confess. Mm -hmm. And my apologies. Did, did TeamViewer uh, trigger you at all, George? Sadly, no. Yeah. <laughs> sadly, and well, it wouldn't, no. it mightn't trigger me either because TeamViewer is something that IT systems all over the world use to contact people who work out of the office. So TeamViewer is as normal as breathing in, in, in anyone and using I, IT. I, I, I have used it yeah. many times. Yeah. You know. So 
And but then I said to her, I said, um, where are you based? I said, and she says, well, I'm Bangladeshi, she says, but I've been living in Ireland for the last two years and I'm in the head office of my provider. Okay, now I know where the hell the office of my provider is. And she says, I'm in Buckingham House. She didn't say Buckingham Palace. She said Buckingham House. So I didn't know what the Buckingham, where the hell Buckingham House is. So I said, oh, great, that's fine. So then she says, we carry on now. I want to, um, now, by the way, um, there's a lot going on, which I'm skipping over here. This phone call is now into its second hour. What? All right. This wasn't like a quickie, give me your credit card stuff. I mean, this was a most sophisticated operation. And they've got Georgie on a hook because all he wants is his internet back and running. And the percentage is clicking away there. That's really good news. What is that now? 50%. Oh, that's really good. Now she said, I want you to go to the app store. And I want you to download Revolut. So I said, oh, I don't, I don't have Revolut. I don't want Revolut. I just want my internet. And she says, I know that, she said, but we use Revolut to process refunds. So so you'll have to download Revolut. I said, no way am I downloading Revolut. <sighs> I'm really sorry, she said. Hold on a minute, mumble, mumble, mumble. Look, I just talked to my account manager, and he said, if you don't accept the refund, uh, we can't upgrade your router today, right? So I said, okay, okay, I want my internet. So now I go to the App Store, down comes Revolut, and if if you have Revolut, you know you obviously have to give Revolut a lot of information you do. Um, to, to open an account. Now, it's a legitimate account I'm opening, you yeah, must remember, yeah. but I'm giving her all the information. Oh. So she now has my driving license, my PPS number, and my date of birth. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. At this stage, your listeners are going berserk. I understand that, PJ, that Georgie has now reached the final stages of madness. But this is true, right? So anyway, I do that. So then I'm saying, hold on now, George, hold on now. And then she says, all right, refund on the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, great, says I. So she says, now, oh, by the way, she says, how's your internet? 70%, says I. Oh, great, she says. So she says, it's on the way. Your bank is now going to ask you to confirm with your <gasps> PIN number that no. you've got it, that, that you're going to get it. So up on the screen pops, you know the way your bank, I don't know whether you have it or not, but your bank asks you for the first digit. The third digit yeah, or yeah, the two-factor two, two authentication. Yeah, yeah. yeah, correct. So it says first digit. I bash it in, and then I, I there was a warning that I didn't cop. My number came up in clear, whereas when, actually when you do it on your on your phone, it comes up still as a star, it's still hidden, you know. But it came uh, up in clear. Uh, then the next the next one I didn't cop either. She didn't ask me for three digits. She asked me for five. Right? Oh, but well, not she. My bank, because this is my bank card, doing it, and I put in now in 
then clear five of my six digits. Oh. So like they're, they're in clover, right? So now we're over two hours on the phone. My internet is uploading to about 75%. I'm going to get a refund of 400 quid and we'll be finished shortly, right? So then she says, okay, now she says, the bank is going to ask you to swipe. And I don't know what, again, I don't know what bank is, but but the bank's, my bank sends me a, a little thing which says, please confirm that this is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Swipe, right? So from the bank comes the swipe, right? And it says... Now, normally I'd never read it. I'd just swipe because I know I'm doing it. I know it's okay. But I read it. And it said, please transfer 8,000 euro to to Tipper account South Africa. (laughs) (laughs) And Georgie did not swipe and saved his posterior. Somebody was minding you, George. So then I said to her, then I said to her, hold on a minute, I said, I'm not, it's not over. I said, I'm not paying. She said, no, 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 she said. And oh, by the way, she calls me George now. She she said, George, you're not paying. That's just the way the bank has to confirm that this is in order. Now, dopey and all as I am, I didn't buy that one. And I said, no, I'm not swiping and I don't care about my internet anymore and I don't care about Revolut anymore and I hung up, right? Now you won't believe it. She rang me back and she said, George, you are very rude and me trying to help you here (laughs) and you hung up, right? Now the problem, and this is no disrespect to my bank or my internet provider, you're not going to get somebody to answer the phone instantly. No. Do you know, it, it, they'd sort of say, hold on a minute. We'd let. So uh, I couldn't, like, get, and I could have borrowed my wife's phone and rung, but I wouldn't have got through. And then I rang my accountant who did answer. And I said, listen, do, 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 do they use revolution this, that, and can they open? And he said, George, absolutely not. So anyway, the net result for your listeners is Hook was saved by the bell. Wow. Saved by the swipe? <laughs> saved by the swipe, George. Saved, saved by the swipe. Good Lord. But, that, but you were so deep into it. You were two hours on the phone. <clears throat> What the question is really, it must have been very good guesswork on behalf behalf of a scammer, or just look, and I'm thinking just look that you had had a legitimate problem with your provider. Oh no, that was that was pure luck. I mean, because I've like we've all got phone calls, you know, and and I just say how are you? Thanks very much. Good luck. But but I mean, if somebody comes out and says I want to talk to you about your router, then you immediately, and only the day before. Yeah. Now, there was one final twist to all this. Go on. As I hung up on my accountant, uh, sweating, 
there's a knock at the door. <laughs> and <laughs> who is it? But well, the, 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 the takeover the takeover from uh, from the provider to fix my internet. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. The other thing she said to me was she said, uh, this is my Pakistani lady, she said, We're sending you a technician next Friday. And I said, Can you not do it earlier? And she said, No, that's the earliest, but we'll be able to up- upgrade you meanwhile. And she sends me Michael Lynch, his his uh, employee number, oh and the goodness. time and days of his arrival. Oh, my goodness. This was really yeah. sophisticated. Oh, listen. I mean, I know him in Egypt, like, and I pull my hand up. But this was superb. Yeah. This was, yeah. This was so And it was and just the look, the just problem. the sheer look that you had a, a legitimate complaint in. Yeah. Yeah, but but the problem, Peter, to 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 your listeners is this, and it has literally happened to me since the attempted scam. I'm reasonably certain I've got a legitimate text from my from my provider, uh, which I've dumped. I haven't answered that. I, you know, mm. your bank will send you text periodically for something, and you do it. My the point now is that. I wouldn't answer any kind of text. There you go. Do you there know you what go. I mean? And and that's what the experts tell us now, unfortunately, George, is what, that we just can't I, trust you anymore. Well, the point now is, so we have, we have an economy every day that runs on the basis of our telephones and our laptops. Like, I, I've been with the same bank for 60 years, and I went in on Monday just, tell them and, and check things. But, but like, banks today have minimum staff. It's a very different bank is, from yeah. the bank that I joined 60 and, years ago. And all of that stuff is what, is what the scammers are taking advantage of. The personal touch Correct. is That's gone in a lot point. of cases. Come here, George. That's the 1st of December is, is Friday. I, do you ever get back to your beloved side for Christmas? Uh, how would I manage without the holly bow? It's another article by George in this year's holly bow. Um, the, 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 I'm a corker lot. I have a, my son has had the good sense to marry a corker, and a, a George Hook the fourth is a prez boy. The fourth. <laughs> Yeah, my father was the first, I'm the second, then there's my son, and now George Hook the fourth is in press. And then my my other grand my granddaughter will be in Sculvera next year. So uh, that aspect of the family continues the court tradition, which I'm very proud of. Like. Excellent. Excellent. Do you ever get down do you, do you get down around Christmas time, would you or would they go to you? <laughs> Well, we're doing an interesting one. Uh, my youngest is is living in London uh, and is a banker. And we're all going to London for New Year. So we're kind of Christmasing oh, individually. Lovely. And then we're all going to London for New Year. Yeah. I have to say, George, before I let you go, you told me so. <laughs> do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. You told do. me so about six weeks before the World Cup. You were on him here about something else, and, and I asked you about the Irish team and all the hype and all the buzz and all the enjoyment and all the fun we had. You said to me, "Quarter final." Yeah, yeah, and you were right. God so, bless you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I take no pride from. Being I know right, that. I know but, that. But like, 
but but like we never got past the quarter final. And I, I couldn't believe people coming up to me saying, "Are we going to win it?" When the first objective was to get past I know, the bloody I know. Well, an, another great Corkman, Donald Lenihan, told me on a text message. He said, "Yes, we can dare to dream, but unfortunately, it didn't quite work out this time." George Hook, a broadcaster and friend of the Opinion Line, and now almost, almost the victim of an eight thousand euro scam. Thank you. And uh, have a great Christmas to all the hooks, third, second, fourth, fifth, whatever generation they are. But be careful of that. You have a legitimate complaint with your internet provider that they're trying to sort out for you. And just for sheer looks sake, you get a call and you think it's them. It's not them. Check everything. Double check everything. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818-969696. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. Six weeks on from the devastating flooding caused by Storm Babette. There's first steps crash in Middleton. Very bad news for parents there. The place won't open until April or May of 2024. Uh, there's parents all over Middleton have kids in the crash, including you, Aoife. Now, you work from home. You're not the worst affected here, but this is bad news for people. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. This is bad news. Yeah, no, it's really tough. Um, like, it's as you said, it's one of the largest crashes in Middleton. There's over 100 kids there. So, obviously, the impact on the parents is massive. Um, it's like, for me, I'm probably, as you, as you kind of alluded to, I'm lucky in that I'm not the worst impacted. But it's like going back to the COVID area, which I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to that are listening to the call today. Um, you know, it's trying to juggle working from home as well as being the the primary carer within the home as well for my for my youngest child. So sure. that's a bit of a struggle for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not the worst. Um, so you know, for example, um, it's at the entrance of a housing estate that was badly damaged as well. So we obviously have parents who had not just homes, but some would have had businesses that were destroyed in the floods. So they have now a huge financial burden, not just to rebuild their businesses and their homes, but without childcare, some of them can't even go back to full-time work. So they're getting a double financial hit because they're struggling to get back on their feet because they don't have the ability to earn the income that they had previously. And they're trying to cover the costs, which obviously you know, the government aren't going to cover the full extent of this flood damage as much as we're getting subsidies for some of those homes. Not all of that is going to get covered. So they're getting a double financial hit. It's obviously building up to Christmas, but there's a long-term impact here because as you touched on, this building's not going to be ready till April or May, and that's at the earliest. We know that's an estimate. That could easily be September, October of next year. So what are these parents going to do in in this medium term to figure it out? Mm -hmm. There's no hope of another premises or anything, no? Um, We haven't heard. And and like, again, you know, if I just touch on the fact that this is a crash that is involved in the government ECCE scheme as well. Yeah. So obviously they provide three hours of childcare per day per child. And that is an entitlement that every child in the country has. But unfortunately, our children who have been involved in the ECCE and attended it with first steps crash, 
they don't get that anymore. So obviously there is an onus on the government to follow through on that as well, because that is an entitlement entitlement of all the children. And mm-hmm. it's so important in terms of that social development, that education piece. We have some kids that are special needs. So you can imagine having that social interaction for three hours, how much that can bring certain children on, not sure. just, you know, every kid as well, but those with special needs. So there's so many different cohorts that are missing out on that. We've got parents who are both frontline workers. They can't get childcare. So what are they going to do? Like, you know, so a lot of people are taking a massive financial hit. So that's, I suppose that's why we're here today is because we're not seeing any action from the government right now. So we're here to, I suppose, highlight the plight of the mm-hmm. parents of Middleton. The government obviously promised to assist us financially, but this is also, I suppose, one of the other unintended consequences is having a crash that's so badly damaged structurally. And then obviously there's going to be flood defences. It's going to take a long time for this crash to be back yeah. up and running again. So our call to action today is for the Department of Children and for Roderick himself. We're asking you to intervene so that you can find an alternative uh, place for this crash that it can mm. reopen while the building works are going on and given the scale of the damage and that flood defences will be required please we ask you to consider giving additional support to the builders so that we can get this crash back up and running again mm-hmm. There's been no contact from the Minister uh, since this happened or or no response to any any appeal for help so far has there? Uh, apart from your 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 stock uh, reply via email, we have heard nothing. Nothing. Now I know local TD there, James O'Connor, is bringing this up in the door. Yes, yeah, and he's been very supportive. In fairness, as has Adrian Hagerty, who's involved with the you know the local um, Middleton businesses, um, and they've been great to advise us, and they've been really supportive to try and highlight this plight. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a new it's it's a temporary premises at least or or or, or help with the repairs because this, it's not sustainable like you said there Rifa it, it it's yeah. not sustainable to just tell people well we can't do this until April May 2024 and like you say that's yeah. that's at least and this is a government funded exercise you have to look to the minister for children and said yeah. well now minister here's our problem we're taxpayers yeah. look- here's our problem yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not an either or. We need both. I mean, you know, the the shortage, the chronic shortage of childcare is huge. It's actually massive in Middleton before we lost this crash. I mean, if you were like even thinking about having a baby, you'd be ringing around the creches to try and book a, a spot for your children. It's extremely difficult to find places to begin with. So to lose one of the largest creches in Middleton has a massive impact mm-hmm. on everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're, you've got people who have to change everything in the next six months just to facilitate this and they're going to lose money, they're going to lose income, they might even lose jobs because of it. Exactly, exactly. Like, for example, if we for we have one group of parents, they're both frontline, frontline workers, they're struggling to, to put their kids into childcare, you know, hiring someone private, one, is extremely difficult, two, it's extremely expensive. So it would probably result in one of them having to give up their job so that you'll only have one on the frontline worker. So again, there's double impacts there because we're not contributing to society. We're not contributing to the economy like we would like to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And that's through no fault of our own. You're, you're calling on people to send emails to the minister. 
even Please, if you've no yes. connection whatsoever with yes. First Steps, to yes. notify the minister that this is going on and say, Minister, what are you going to do about it? Exactly. The more of us who email in, there is, um, you know, a safety in numbers, I guess. So the, the louder we shout, unfortunately, um, it is those who shout the loudest that get the most attention. So really what we're asking for people to do, um, you know, is to email the Department of Children and email Roderick O'Gorman and ask him what are they going to do to help with um, getting this childcare back up and running for the parents of Middleton. Roderick, R-O-D-E-R-I-C dot O'Gorman mm-hmm. at O-I-R dot I-E is the minister's email address. And I think what you're, you are reaching out, Aoife, just beyond, the, if you want, the, the, the community of people that needs a service like this, if you care about the people of Middleton and their kids, just email. And if he's flooded with emails, then when James O'Connor brings it up in the dial, he can't say, I didn't hear about it. Exactly, exactly. The more people that, that email in, the greater the weight is behind our argument, behind our plight, and the better chance we have of getting this resolved for the parents of Middleton. All right. Leave it there, see what happens. I do hope that you get a result. That's Aoife McCarthy. She's a parent, one of over 100 parents with children at the First Steps Crash in Middleton, which has been told, parents have been told, that the place won't even be half ready to open or nearly ready to open until at least the spring of 2024 and they want people to drop hundreds of emails on Minister Roderick O'Gorman to see what he's going to do about it because it comes under the ECCE scheme which is run by his department and all of that so Roderick R-O-D-E-R-I-C dot O'Gorman at O-I-R dot I-E if you want to support First Steps Middleton 0818969696 Our friends from Food Solutions back with us today another 200 euro gift card to give the gift of happy healthy feet this Christmas with Foot Solutions on Grand Parade we have another song to do with shoes we've knocked a word out of it and we need to know what the word is alright what is the word left out there I'll let you hear it again tell me the word tell me your name 083 396-96-96 for a 200 euro gift card for Food Solutions. I was going to get to something before 10. No, I don't have time. I've run out. God, look at this. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. Cork's 96FM wants to fill your Christmas with fun and play. The 10K Toy Giveaway is on. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. Free. Listen to Cork's 96FM all day long. For your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win. To win. No Christmas. I love Christmas. Merry Christmas. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. Listen and win every day. Only on Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live.
Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Oh, it's 96FM. Just an update on that situation at uh, Carrie Navarre. Um, Maureen, I'll go straight back to you. We've just had word in the last, what, 30 seconds. Yeah, just in the past few minutes there, PJ, it's just come through that um, it's a, a fatal single vehicle road traffic collision. Um, it happened at about quarter to seven at Gertnalahi in Cardinavari. So it is that uh, collision that we have been talking about, the serious one. The driver and sole occupant of the only car involved in this collision, a man in his 20s, was pronounced dead at the scene. Now, the guards have just come to us with this press release, said they're appealing for any witnesses to this collision to come forward. So any road users who may have camera footage, if you've a dash cam in your car and you were travelling in the Gertnalahi area between 6.35am this morning and 6.55am asked to make this footage available to Gardaí. Anyone with information you can contact Grona Broher Garda Station, the Garda Confidential Line or you can contact any Garda Station. So there is a forensic collision investigators, a, a, a collision investigation uh, is being conducted. The road does remain closed at Gertnalahi uh, to allow for that technical exam and local diversions are in place. Okay, sad day. Sad, sad day for some family there. Uh, all right, thank you for that. We had heard of it earlier on, but it's just been confirmed now. That is a fatal road accident early this morning near Carrick Navarre. Thank you, Maureen. 0818 96 96 96. It's on the roads I'm staying for my first topic of conversation in this second hour today. Last week, I spoke with Shiona, who was quite emotional and upset about the amount of sulky racing going on. We've all seen the videos going around from the Croom Bypass. Uh, was it the weekend before last? It's now emerged that there was about nine different sulky races taking place around the country on that very weekend. And there's anything up to nine or ten sulky races happening around the country pretty much every weekend. And there's video being shared pretty much every weekend. Shiona was calling last week for something to be done about it. Others have too. And joining that is Dog Advocacy Ireland. Now, John, I'll talk about your work in a minute, John O'Callaghan from Dog Advocacy Ireland, but not just dogs, animal cruelty across the board is it's what what is encouraging you to get involved in this discussion, plus the fact that you really do fear somebody is going to be injured or worse. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for covering this topic and giving giving it the attention it deserves. Uh, as you correctly said there, these uh, sulky racy races are taking place every weekend on our public roads, and it's going on not today or yesterday or last year, but the year before. It's going on for years, and it doesn't appear to uh, have any has a priority. Or it's not assigned any priority by Garda authorities in particular. So, you know, this is a dangerous criminal activity taking place on our public roads every weekend. You Again, you correctly identified, PJ, that these sulky races are are advertised and posted on our social media mm-hmm. uh, in advance of the of the sulky racing take taking place every weekend. So look, it's not rocket science for Garda authorities to to monitor these sulky racing events where they're about to take place and take preventive action. Mm-hmm. action. 
Because as, well, Shona, was, as Shona was making the point, and others have made the point, John, and you only have to look at the videos to see how much sense it makes. Once these things are on the road, the guards are powerless. Absolutely, PJ. And look, it's, it's, they need to take preventive action. By not doing so, they're placing motorists and road users at risk, at serious risk. Because, you know, if you're driving along one of our public roads, and we're talking about major public roads here as well, uh, and you refer to the one that would be of interest, most interest to your Cork listeners there, the incident that took place uh, on the Cork to Limerick Road near Croom on the 12th of, of November just gone, where the, the footage we see uh, of of these convoys of cars and, and vans supporting these sulky racing events following on and they're driving three and four abreast fellas hanging out out of uh, windows shouting encouragement to to the drivers of the sulkies now if you're a, a motorist heading in the opposite direction and you happen upon this uh, oncoming convoy i mean it's a frightening experience and motorists have have to take as we've seen from video footage motorists have to take evasive action but the oncoming motorists have to take evasive action uh, and drive over onto the hard shoulder in the same now, weekend this, as Croom, I'm just going through some of the lists here because uh, I, we did get, there was a list, the Sunday World website published a list, John, of where some of them happened, as well as Croom. There was one <clears throat> on the N7 in the early hours of the morning near Rathcool in County Dublin, which is a busy road at the best of times. <laughs> there was one near Clanmel on the N24. And the Sunday World website is also reporting that some of these races were actually heats in a competition that will have a final runoff before Christmas. Like, this is organised, even though it's completely illegal. Yeah, and you've identified the, some of the, the, the public roads there, PJ, and thank you for doing so. The public need to be aware of this. You can also add the M3 and the M24 and the, and the uh, N20 to that list. Nine uh, uh, sulky races, races took place last weekend, and to the best of my knowledge, Gardaí didn't intervene in any one of those nine uh, sulky racing events. And as you say, there are qualifying heats leading to a final at some point. In these, there's huge money, uh, like shocking amounts of money being gambled on these sulky racing events. Mm-hmm. And you know that's that's what it's about. Young horses are being used to pull those uh, sulkies. Horses as young as maybe two or three years of age, to to be racing and running horses on a hard surface like that is totally inappropriate and is a huge risk to the limbs of those young horses. Mm -hmm. So, look, PJ, we could go on all day about this. There are numerous uh, pieces of legislation being broken broken here on every weekend. We're talking about various uh, sections of the Road Traffic Act, we're also talking about the Control of Horses Act, the Animal Welf- Health and Welfare Act. I mean, how how much more illegality do we have to put up with before before action is taken by the relevant authorities? And, and there is a thing, John, and we always say it about, we do not want to be here, you or me or Shiona or anybody else, uh, Tiffany, who was on me from another uh, advocacy group, we do not want to be here on a Monday morning talking about a serious accident a serious injury, or worse. That's not what we want to be having this conversation. Time for conversation is now. 
Absolutely, again, PJ, and you, you spoke to Tiffany Quinn from from uh, uh, my lovely uh, my, uh, Animal Law Ireland, I believe. Yeah. And you know, Animal Law are very familiar with with the legislation, very much so. And you know, she's absolutely correct. Uh, and you know, let's let's hope this this eventuality doesn't occur, PJ. That that we have a tragic accident, fatal, or, or maybe slightly less serious. But the question has to be asked then: in the event of such such a tragedy, who's going to be held responsible or accountable? Yeah. What about the victims of such an incident? Who is going to compensate them for possible life loss or serious injury or badly damaged vehicles? Who's going to be held responsible and accountable? Mm-hmm. And we know coming into this weekend ahead, John, we can fairly much anticipate that there will be uh, other races possibly closer to home or as close to home as the last ones were. And it's about time. So you're calling directly and other groups like yours are calling directly on the Gardaí to get in there before they're even on the road and stop this. Yes, it's the only, there's no point, PJ, in uh, a squad car going out or a member of the public calls about this assault race that they, they've come across on, on a public road. And a, a squad car sent there with, with two Garda occupants. They haven't got a hope in hell of controlling uh, an existing uh, sulky race. The, the the drivers of the sulkies and the convoy pay no attention to the guardie, as we've seen on some of the, the footage from, from uh, those sulky races. The video, the, it's the video pointless. There was one out the old Mallow Road a couple of years ago and the guards were just, you could see it and you'd feel for them. They were completely powerless, even though they were doing their best. They were completely powerless and the people taking part in the sulky race were only laughing at them and you could see them laughing in the video. John, can I ask you for just one minute about the ongoing work of Advocacy Ireland? We spoke about it before. I'm given to understand that you are about to make, or try to make at least, puppy farming an election issue in 2024. Just before you touch on that, PJ, if yeah. I might just add there, and, and the, you will see a concerted campaign, an annual campaign by the, by Ungarda Shikona, starting this Friday on the 1st of December, running onto the 4th of January, uh, where we will see uh, road checks on our, all our, our, our public roads for drink and drug driving over the Christmas period. Mm. So if Gardaí can mount such an effective campaign annually, over the Christmas period, then it's possible for Gardaí to, to, to make a concerted effort to address this illegal, dangerous, sulky racing. And a fair point, and very well made. Just briefly on that issue, puppy farming, um, to be an election issue if you've had to do with it in 2024. Yes, uh, and look, PJ, thank you for, for raising the puppy farming issue. Obviously, my primary interest from on Dog Advocacy Ireland, and I would suggest to your listeners to log on to the website, dogadvocacyireland.ie. Uh, it's to address the negligence and um, legislation enforcement around dog welfare in particular. Uh, yes, look, puppy farming, there are hundreds of puppy farms in this country. And as we speak right now, there are thousands of dogs being abused in mistreatment. And, and mistreated puppies who never see the light of day this is a culture of breed for greed these puppy farmers have no interest in dog welfare it's money it's a lucrative industry that, that uh, earns 200 million a year I'll say it again 
200 million per year in criminal, criminal trafficking of dogs, both within Ireland and for the export market, mainly to the UK. So, you know, there isn't a politician in this country, PJ, I, I suspect that you would agree with me, there isn't a politician in this country who could condone puppy farming. No. No, I wouldn't think so. No. If I'd be sure of it. So, look, uh, in the, if the, there was a survey done by, by Ipsos, which is a highly reputable uh, survey company. Uh, we hear about them all the time in the political field. They, uh, were, if they, uh, a company commissioned a, a survey to be done by Ipsos. They surveyed 2,000 uh, Irish households. There's a, a 69-page report on, of that survey. You don't need to read, read the 69-page report. You will find the report as a link on the Dog Advocacy Ireland website. And in, the interesting stats from from that uh, report, PJ, is that 49% of Irish house, households own a dog. I don't want to bombard your listeners with stats or figures, but there are a million and 40,000 dogs in this country. And as I said, 49% of Irish households uh, own a dog. And as a nature of dog lovers, we need to pay, sit up and pay more attention to puppy farming and get it stamped out. And just lastly and briefly, John, you are meeting with politicians to try to actually get that into local election leg- um, campaigning next summer, correct? Yes, we're, we're engaging with, with the, the, the political system and with politicians uh, at this point. As you know, PJ, Dog Advocacy Ireland is only uh, recently set up and recently established. We're engaging with, with media to, to spread the word there, to get the message out there of our existence and what our aims and objectives are. And part of that strategy is to engage with the political system. Okay. Whether we like it or not, uh, our politicians are our legislators and they're the only people who can who can bring about meaningful change, influenced by the likes of Dog Advocacy Ireland, My Lovely Horse, and Dogs Trust, and all the wonderful organisations that are out there. All right. So it will become an election issue. All right. I'm going to leave it there for now, John. I've no doubt we'll speak again. Thank you, John O'Callaghan of Dog Advocacy Ireland. Now the puppy farm thing we'll come back to over the months ahead. I've no doubt, but he's saying this is very serious. Actually, what's on the uh, Sunday World? Website. They focused on this in the last few days. And at one weekend, there was nine events on. There is semi-finals and a final set to happen. Now, the Sunday World isn't sure whether it'll be here or in the UK, but it could well be here. There'll be a semi-final or a final here of this organised sulky racing. Completely illegal. Shouldn't be on the roads at all. Highly dangerous. Happening at some stages in the early hours of the morning before sunup so they can get away with it on a public road. We've all seen the videos. And John, John is saying to the guards, look, there's no point in sending out a squad car before when the damn thing is on. They're only laughing at you. Shiona was saying the same. Tiffany from the welfare group was saying the same. It's time to put it up to the guards now. I know they have a lot to do. They have a lot to be doing to keep the streets of Dublin safe, if nothing else at the moment. But stop these races before they even start. Track them down, get there, and stop these races before they even start. Before somebody is badly hurt or even killed. And that's not a conversation we want to be having on a Monday morning. Thank you, John. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing. Focus solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM.
I seem to remember talking about woodpeckers on the programme before because we didn't have them in Ireland and now we have. And now they're doing wreck. Have you heard that sound? There's a sound. If you hear that sound... And if your lights are flickering, or if the Christmas tree won't work over the next couple of weeks. This fella might well be outside the door doing doing wreck, because the ESB Networks people have confirmed that he is damaging ESP poles. (laughs) Paul Moore of Birdwatch, Ireland. We have more woodpeckers than we ever had. Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? Very um, good. He was. A, yeah, he, yeah. We didn't have him here for years, did we? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I suppose it sounds like a, the plot of a Netflix thriller or something, Attack of the Killer Woodpeckers. Um, so I suppose put it into context, uh, hundreds of years ago, we would have had woodpeckers uh, here. But, you know, um, I suppose people of a certain vintage, if, if, if you did Leaving South Irish, you might remember a poem called Kill Cash. So the first line of that was, um, fast again, I'm it. What yeah. do we do without timber? We, we cut down all our old woods, or most of them, hundreds of years ago, and woodpeckers would have been here then, but obviously they need timber, so they went extinct. Um, and yeah, we, we, we still have a bit of a shortage of timber, obviously, but about 20 years ago, uh, woodpeckers recolonized Ireland from, mainly from Wales and Scotland. Uh, they colonized, uh, Wicklow and County Down. Mm-hmm. And they've been spreading further west ever since then, doing quite well. Mm. So Do we have them in Cork? They are in Cork, uh, not very many yet, so it would seem what they did was they spread along the river valleys, you know, along the Blackwater and things like that, and they spread along North Cork. Donnerail would have been one of the first places that they turned up in Cork. Mm. Uh, but now they're spreading, yeah. Now the obvious question is, what's he doing? In terms of the electricity poles? No, no, well, so, we'll get to that in a second, but what's he actually doing? Oh, in the drumming. So yeah. the drumming is about um, basically advertising his presence, that this is my territory, uh, a warning to other woodpeckers to stay out. It's the same reason that birds will sing, woodpeckers don't sing. So, you know, you hear thrushes or robins or blackbirds singing, that's to advertise their presence, trying okay. to attract a mate. Right. Fall onto a territory, so that's the woodpecker's version of that. Okay, now he damages the ESB pole because he's a strong little devil. That beak of his is doing damage. Yes, yes. So they nest in cavities um, that they will excavate themselves. They dig out. They're, they're, they're really strong bills, um, so they excavate out a hole. And as they like, you know, they, they like dead and dying timber, old timber. But because you know we don't have that much of that in Ireland. Um, you know, the, the, I suppose if you think of us, an electricity pole is basically a dead tree. So he's so building a nest in the pole. Sorry, he's building a nest in the pole. Yeah, yeah, they'll excavate um, a hole, a little cavity in the in the in the pole because it's a dim, it's just a dead tree, and uh, that's 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 what the problem is. It weakens the pole. Rainwater gets in over the winter or the autumn, and you know it, it can cause rot. So yeah, it, it it is apparently a bit of a problem, but. Um, Look, I suppose we've one species of woodpecker in Ireland, the Great Spotted Woodpecker, you know, parts of Europe have 10 or 12 species, and mm. they, they haven't run out of electricity yet there, so it's just something, you know, maybe to adapt to, to get used to. Yeah, because if, we can, if, if, they, if he is nesting in the poles, and then we get a, a storm, as we do across the, the wintertime, it can bring poles down faster. Yes, yes, I mean... I- 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thinking parts of Europe, they use um, concrete or metal poles instead. Obviously, the woodpecker isn't going to dig into those. Or you could um, cover the pole with mesh and that would, you know, they wouldn't go at it then. Um, So, yeah, there there are solutions around that they've been dealing with in Europe since ever since we've had electricity poles, I suppose. So, it's it's just something we'll have to get used to, I guess. The woodpecker is protected. You can't you can't touch him once he's in the pole. You can't touch him. Yeah, you can't touch the nest. It's it's illegal to interfere with any bird's nest. So you can't uh, do anything. First, what you can do after they leave the nest in summer is, you know, if, if uh, ESB crew spotted the pole, is to actually just fill the hole, you know, fill the cavity that they've dug with something, um, and it won't come back, and it'll probably stay away from that pole then. Um, so, you know, there, there, there are remedial actions you can take, um, so, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it seems to be a bit of an issue, I suppose, just because we're a bit of short of, of dead timber, old-style deciduous trees in this country. Mm-hmm. According to the Irish Times, uh, he's being blamed for power outages or the possibility of power outages as we head into storm season. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one I suppose nobody saw coming. Um, <laughs> Certainly you know, not. Yeah, <laughs> and look, uh, yeah, not an issue in Cork yet, as I said, like there's okay. probably less than 20 pairs in, in, on all of County Cork. Oh, really? Still. So, yeah, they're still quite scarce. I mean, you, you, you're more likely to see them in your garden in winter coming into the bird feeders, you know, the peanut feeders and things like that. Oh, that's, really? Yeah, that's, uh, and that, that's thought to be the reason that they expanded so rapidly in Britain, that people were feeding, you know, the garden birds, as they do. Um, woodpeckers, you know, they're bigger than the normal, the usual birds that will go on feeders, like you know the blue tits and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they, they they can they can be a bit of a bully that way, sort of. They can dominate the feeder. So you know they just they did very well. Yeah, there's the thing about feeders, isn't there, Paul? We all, we all like to put out feeders for the birds in the winter and in the spring. My my missus especially. The problem then is with that comes nesters in the springtime. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I suppose there are a couple of issues that, you you know, in terms of cleaning your feeders as well, it's becoming a big issue for some species that does disease pass from one bird ah, to another. Um, yeah. It's something to bear in mind if you do feed birds. Clean the feeders, 
fairly regularly, um, or, or you can, you know, you can be killing the birds instead of feeding them. So it's just something to bear in mind. Yeah, it is indeed, Paul, and thank you for that. So people would be looking at the next six to eight or ten weeks, the wettest and coldest and dampest part of the year. They might be inclined to feed the little birds, but be careful. Make sure the feeder is kept clean. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. As you said, we're we're coming right into the to the period now when you would be feeding the birds. And look, it's fantastic way of of, um, of of engaging with and seeing wildlife and bringing birds into your garden. Mm. But just just remember hygiene as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can we address a little bit, Paul, while I have you? I know I've broadened the conversation, but I think my listeners have proven themselves over the years to be fascinated by birds. You know that little robin that you always yes. see in the garden? It's not the same robin all the time, is it? <laughs> Do you want to cross people's dreams? <laughs> no, it's yeah. it's just a thing because we, we, there's a robin. They yeah. always seem to come to the same part of the garden. They sometimes even perch on the same little branch. But it's never yeah. the same robin, yeah. is it? Uh, it? It can. I mean, they can live up to, you know, maybe eight, eight or nine years, but... The, the, the average age of a robin is, is about 12 months. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there, there's a big turnover, but, you know, they've they've adapted very well to, to the gardens and yeah. humans and when we turn over the soil, do a bit of gardening or whatever, then we're yeah. exposing what they're after. You'd often see them on, on a frosty morning in, in the yeah. winter. I was out last year on the Christmas tree farm, uh, out, out in ovens, getting a Christmas tree, and little robin landed opposite the tree that we were cutting down, and there he is, looking at us and then we were putting the tree into the back of the car and there he is looking at us and my daughter said oh da granda's checking out the tree it's, <laughs> we we associate the robin don't we with with departed loved ones yes yes I suppose it's just the fact that they're so you know so friendly yeah you know they're, they're a wild bird but they're so they see appear so friendly to people and yeah. to humans that it's, it's yeah it, it's a thing and I look you know does that Christmas yeah. connection as well with Robins then that we um, you know on, on your Christmas cards and stuff that it's 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 such a, such a familiar bird and such a so, so close to humans and so friendly yeah gorgeous, um, gorgeous little fellas gorgeous little fellas Paul thank you very much and the woodpecker look he's here I don't think any ESP poles will be falling down in Cork anytime soon but the woodpecker is here if you hear that sound that's that's a woodpecker Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now to back to the roads and policing, and particularly policing things like sulky races and speeding and all those things. But I think maybe sulky racing in particular. Michael, you're looking for a call to be made to the barracks. Good morning, the army barracks. Hello. Hello, Michael. You want the army called in to help with the roads? Well, I mean, it's just a suggestion, PJ, that. Uh I mean, I haven't heard it mentioned uh, in the in the last few months, and uh, as we all know, law and order seems to be broken around in the city, broken down, and uh, now we have this sulky, whatever you call it, this racing that's going on, and uh, maybe the army should be called in as a peacekeeping force on our own roads instead of sending them out abroad. It's a thought. Would you envisage sending the army out, for example, to stop a sulky race? I would. Yeah, they're a danger to the public. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you rightfully said a minute ago there, Paul, um, PJ, that, uh, I mean, there's no point in sending a squad car with two cops in it, two yards in it. Yeah. They're outnumbered and they're going to be laughed at. Oh, it's a disgrace what's going on, mm. isn't it? Yeah, whereas uh, a few soldiers in a truck might get ah. a bit... Yeah. 
You'd have to have the guards would have to call the army. They have to, and and you see the problem is there's a politics thing going on there, Michael. Then which sort of under aid to civil power and all that kind of stuff. Once you have the army called in, that's almost a silent signal from the guards that they may perhaps have failed to sort the thing out themselves. Well, I mean, uh, number one, they don't have the numbers, PJ. And number two, it is failing whether we like it or not. Yeah, that's true. Am I sensing a northern accent there, Michael? Well, (laughs) I was born in the north, uh, PJ, but I'm living in Cork since I was about eight years of age. Ah, okay, okay. Okay. No, I was just wondering if, because if you had recent experience, like how northern, how law and order might might handle it on the other side of the border. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm away out of it long enough. I was born there, but I never lived there. Believe it or not. Okay. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough, Michael. But your suggestion is, Michael's suggestion is, get the army out to deal with sulky racing and to deal with other such things. There were people saying they should have been called out into the streets last Thursday night to deal with the riots in Dublin. At one point, there was a rumour going around that they had been. They hadn't been. That was a video that was quite sneakily thrown up on social media by some people with some other, um, what would you say, motive. Uh, but is, 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 is Michael right? Thanks, Michael. Is Michael right? Is it time for you? Because we, we see this extent, and this is good work from the Sunday World, the extent of the sulky racing that's happening now at the weekend, with eight or nine in one weekend, and all seems to be building up to one big competition, that there'll be a final or a semi-final before Christmas. Huge crowds, huge gatherings. Is it time to bring in the army to deal with sulky racing? I'd love to get your thoughts on that. 0818 96 96 96. When I was talking about the robins, or the woodpeckers, there was one fella came to mind. He's probably the woodpecker we all saw first. And if you Google this little fella, you will find entire episodes of him on YouTube. <laughs> Woody Woodpecker. Do you remember him? Your password today for the Corks 96 of him 10k toy giveaway. We'll play another round of it between 11 and 12. But the password you need that uh, Lorraine and Ross gave out this morning, and you might have missed it, and not written it down, the password you need is Rudolph. That's today's password, Rudolph. Remember it, write it down, stick it into your notes on your phone, do whatever you need to do to remember it, and we'll play another round of the 10K toy giveaway after 11. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Yeah, we are really hooked on this now. Oh, this song is class. Oh, my God. When I just heard that, when I got into the car, it just brought it right back. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Quartz 96 FM. Are you getting married soon? Um, have you chosen the Guna? Yes. Are you going to have a meringue with hoops in it? Or what are you going to have? Or something short and slinky and tight? What are you going to do? Would you know who invented the white... Or who first wore a white wedding dress? Would you even know that... The first wedding dresses were blue. Maybe that gives rise to the old poem 
something borrowed, something blue. I don't know. Maybe Michelle and Gwen can help. Michelle O'Mahony and Gwen McGurk, who are putting together an exhibition of wedding dresses in Dunmanway over the next couple of weeks. But but both of you are fascinated by the history of the wedding dresses. Um, Michelle, there's a thing. Queen Victoria began the trend for wearing white wedding dresses. When and why? Morning. Good morning, morning, TJ. Um, uh, Just to get back to Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria, yes, she introduced sort of the idea of the whole notion of the white wedding dress and the idea of purity. Um, But I suppose I could take you back a little bit further where the white wedding dress came from. In terms of Irish history, we've all heard of the mythological race of people who inhabited Ireland, the two of the Danon. Yeah. And there was a number of deities and female goddesses in the two of the Danon. And they've always been associated with a sort of a pale sea green blue. So traditionally in Ireland, we would have had, even in the 1930s, coming right back to our pre-World War II, we would have had people choosing like a blue suit, a blue dress. And I decided where did the idea of blue come from in terms of Irish mm-hmm. Irish history. So I went right back to the two of the Danon and found that the goddesses there wore blue as a symbol of purity. Now, traditionally, we would always associate white, the white wedding dress, the idea of virginity and purity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But actually, blue is in the Irish folklore, yeah. right back to the two of the Danon. I think it was the goddess Danu. And then that seems to have permeated through our history. Um, this association with blue, and there's also it's also sort of a royal regal colour as well at times. And the Which Romans maybe brings in the whole greenery. And, and does that, yeah. is this where the something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue gets its I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure, but it's definitely significant because this whole blue colour has been permeating fashion down through the years and down through our culture, whether it's pre-Christian times with the Druids, in Ireland, and it's also coming down as blue okay. has been a colour associated with purity. Even in the Roman civilizations in ancient Greece, there's an element of blue coming through, and a lot of the lapis lazuli mm. stones are always blue when they're used for protection. Okay. So, the so wed- then, so wedding dresses used to be blue. Used to be blue, not all of them, but there's there's a particular element of blue coming through right through the history yeah. of wedding dresses, and okay. even right into Hollywood glamour. I was saying to Emer yesterday. The um, the heiress for the Dodge company, the automobile company, yeah. uh, Frances Dodge, when she got married in the 1930s, she had 900 guests to her wedding and everything in her wedding outfit had to be blue. Crikey. And also her guests had to be blue. The table settings were blue. Oh, she literally went to town on the blue and the blue <laughs> wedding breakfast. Mm, okay. And then a few years later, what you know is we've always heard of Wallace Simpson. Wallace Simpson's dress was actually a very pale cornflower blue. I see. So, you know, it, it's gone into Hollywood glamour as well. But I know Gwen will be able to fill you on a little bit and more I'll talk to you more on Gwen, Queen in a Victoria's but dress. You mentioned something else as well that's kind of gone out of fashion, and that is the wedding breakfast. Now, I'm old enough to remember wedding breakfasts, that you had the wedding, the mass, the wedding itself at maybe half eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And you'd be sitting down for breakfast. It actually was a breakfast rather than the big evening dinner we have now. When did that change? I think that changed. A lot of the changes tended to happen within the emergency and during the time of the rationing period in Ireland. So people really kind of stopped with the wedding dresses. I know my grandmother in in the 1930s, in the late 1930s, she chose a suit for her wedding. And most people would have, as you know, the churches 
at the time, a lot of the services were 8 o'clock in the morning. Mass would have been at 7.30 in the morning. So the marriages tended to take place in the morning. And then you would be following that with a wedding breakfast. Now, depending on your wealth and your status, after the wedding breakfast, you might change your outfit. And then you might have an evening event yeah, again. Well, that's happening and now you would again. Have, you would have a dinner. You would, you would have that and would turn into like the two-day event. And even something as recently as a few weeks ago, I located a copy of Harper's Bazaar from 1906 from the Edwardian era. It's a, a copy of it. And looking at the images and the trousseau and the wedding of wedding um, fashions, one of the items was a three, sort of three different wedding dresses to take you through the day. From the wedding breakfast, the most formal dress. And then if you're wealthy enough, you bought another one for the afternoon event. And then you had sort of a, a more ball gown effect for the evening event. So. Yeah. You know, depending on your social status and depending on your wealth, you literally could make your event as big as you wanted. And this was right back in 1906, offering three dresses for a day. And now, so 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 we didn't invent we didn't invent the whole three dresses and many changes of clothes thing in the 80s and 90s and 90s, no. No, this has been going on throughout history, depending on your social status. But it's just becoming a little bit more common now, Hmm. I suppose. The era of Hollywood glamour meant we all wanted that perfect dress that emulated one of the celebrities. And now we're going into like the two day wedding, the afters, the slinky dress for the evening where it's less restrictive and you can dance in and you don't have the high heels. And then you can go into the next day's event, maybe for a barbecue or an add on. So so it's becoming a weekend event now. Stop, will you? <laughs> it is, it is, and you're going. God, I'm going to need a bank loan just to go. Let alone, to let go. alone have a wedding. Now, bring in Gwen at this stage, Gwen, <coughs> Gwen McGurk. You have a collection of of wedding dresses that you've been amassing for quite a few years. Morning to you. Yeah, yes, I do. Good morning. Um, yes, I have. Um, I've been seriously collecting since 2015, but um, it goes right back further because. I am originally from Dublin, but my mum's from Kinsale, and my grandmother was a dressmaker. So I just grew up, um, every time I come down to my grandmother, she had the old 1920s, you know, pedal machine. And so she made a lot of wedding dresses, and she made my mum's dress, mm-hmm. which in the 50s would have been really unusual to wear, white because there was the rationing. And um, she had a brother um, in America who, you know, lent them the money, and she was able to buy the material. And then it was just very beautiful satin at the time that was had was the new synthetics you know so yeah. i was always interested in that and i was a, i went to uh, i studied fashion design in um, the national college of arts in dublin and did fashion and textiles and then while i was a student there was a competition uh for wedding dress of the year so i've always been interested in Nice. But mostly, I was always hanging out in you know vintage stores and looking things online, and then I started to really seriously collect. Uh, probably about 2015. So the oldest dress I have is um, I bought in 2018 actually, which is I've dated it to 1860. Get away. And yeah, and they yeah. weighed a ton. Those old ones, didn't they? Actually, this one is so light. Really? I was given it by an antique dealer, and it had been torn, and we were. It, we could see some things were not quite right to, to date it. This actually is made of a type of muslin, which I think is even before 1840, because it's completely handmade. Wow. And the reason the Singer sewing machine would have been invented around 1851, and then maybe it became more 
a family machine maybe in the 1860s, 1870s. But this one is very special. It's actually like a muslin right. with little flocking in it. And it's so delicate. Myself and Michelle, when we took it out of the box, we were wearing white gloves, you know, because yeah. it's... Cause some of, so some of the older ones were really heavy because they had silicon yeah. in them and they had pearls in them and, it, and loads of and other they things. They had satin. Yeah, that yeah. satin, satin, You're which is heavy. Come here, can anybody yeah. answer me this question? Who invented or where did they get the idea for it? Do you remember them? They used to be known as a meringue. They had hoops inside them and you had to get help to go through the door with them. Who came up <laughs> with that idea? <laughs> can anyone take um, that on? All right, I, I suppose I'll, I'll take you back to the Baroque era, um, PJ, right back to kind of the, the image you would have of Marie Antoinette. It almost looks like her dress is really very, very wide at, at the hips because yeah. it's almost like it's a bustle on each hip. And in the Victorian era, you just had the bustle at the back to kind of make the, the dress look huge. And then you would have almost like a cage underneath That's it. That's right, yeah. Um, and um, basically, the two panniers are the side hoops, or as I like to call them, the saddlebags on the side. And that was designed so that the dress would fall dead straight like a big tri- rectangle in the front of your dress. So you showed off your wealth by the embroidery and the amount of gold thread or whatever <coughs> you had it embroidered with. So you were on display from side to side. Now, I was talking to an etiquette specialist who's actually coming to give us a bit of a Downton Abbey moment on Saturday oh, in, in our event. And she told me that when the dresses were so wide, when you sat down or moved through a door, you would have to move sideways through the door. Or you would have to kind of, when you sat down then, whoever was sitting next to you was going to be at arm's length because they couldn't sit up against you. So this then was reflected in the place setting. So where a female was sitting on the table, you had to have an extra large place setting for her (laughs) because if you had somebody next to her, they wouldn't be able to eat because they'd be up against the panniers and the hips and the bustles. And the sheer mortification then if she got caught inside the toilet and couldn't get out the door. So so, so then these, these... these sort of, I suppose, with the emancipation of women and the suffragette movement, all these restrictions sort of gradually disappeared and it became more fluid. And then back in the, ni- in the 1960s, there was two types of dress. And I know my mum has one. And you had this large hoop that goes in to spread out the skirt. Now, right. they weren't as restrictive as the ones back in the Victorian and the Baroque era. Um, so you had that type in the 60s or in the 1960s, you had the mini dress because Mary Quant had decided to pioneer the mini skirt. That's a very so famous photograph of her. That's a very famous photograph. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to so get a big cut for time here. Dress. I'd love to stay with the two of you for, for ages because it's very funny. Um, the, the history <laughs> can be funny at times. Michelle, you have a book, Famine in Cork City. Yes, yes, PJ, I have. I was talking to Emer about it and Emer actually remembered. We've relaunched it with Mercier Press. So about 18 years ago, I was actually on 96FM talking about famine in Cork City. And it delves deep into the history of Cork Workhouse and what happened during Cork Workhouse during the famine years in Cork City. It's a mixture of statistics, stories, how people lived um, how people experience the famine inside in the workhouse in, in terms of the institution. So that was relaunched last last week. It's backed by popular Excellent. demand um, by Mercier Press. It's available online and in select books, bookstores, and it's also on Amazon.com. Excellent. Uh, but it will make fantas- a fantastic read or something for people to send away to people abroad who Excellent, have a connection with Cork City. We were hugely impacted by the famine in Cork, and sometimes we'd forget that. Lastly, and, and briefly, Gwen, just give me details of the event this weekend so that we can wrap up that way. 
Yes, okay, so we're starting on Friday the 1st from, we've got a really nice event for the ladies as well with Prosecco, so that's from 5 o'clock to 9, and then there's going to be like a mini wedding fair, um, and then Saturday and Sunday from 12 to 3 p.m., so it's okay. going to be a family event, okay. and not just for brides-to-be, you know, so okay. there'll be lots of things to see and do. Excellent, and it's all in Dunman way. Thank you, uh, for, thank you both. I've got to get out of there because of time. But uh, Gwen McGurk and Michelle O'Mahony, thank you both. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty-five years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's ninety-six FM. We're playing all your favorite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's ninety-six FM. Christmas. Christmas with your local maze, making your Christmas extra special with festive offers. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Uh, that call that I took from Michael there before 11 o'clock about, you know, maybe calling in the army to deal with things like roads and sulky races and maybe calling in the army to deal with law and order like happened in Dublin last uh, Thursday night and there is legislation there called the Aid to Civil Power Act and you see the army getting called in after storms and to clear roads and floods and all those things and they're they're, they're damn good at it but you'd, you'd never see them called in for law and order even though they can be they they can be called in but it's it's a piece of legislation called the Aid to Civil Power and it's quite formal it's not just much a case of ringing the barracks like you have to get a senior officer to get permission from an assistant commissioner and permission from this commissioner and then you, then you ring the the army and it's it's not kind of as simple as saying lads we need to be help here but but it can be done PJ said what people forget is for the army to be brought in this is from Paul what people forget for the army to be brought in they have to be given powers of arrest and that isn't going to happen they can be given powers of detention under aid to civil power I think I could be open to correction on that one. But here's the thing, only a guard can arrest. So the army can assist in making space for a guy to be arrested. So the army can surround you and sort of, you know, um overpower you a little and then the guard must make the arrest. But but that Paul you're you're right there. They don't actually have powers of arrest. That's what happens when you have a martial law and I don't think anybody wants to descend into martial law. Then Frank has another suggestion with regard to law and order. Do you ever remember the time they had birching in the Isle of Man? Oh my God, birching. It's gone now, I think. Uh, But you'd find, says Frank, that people who got the birch in the Isle of Man, they never offended again. remember seeing a program about it on the BBC. Uh, People said it saved them from a life of crime. A birch, if you're too young to remember what a birch was. A birch was a whip. You were whipped in the street on the Isle of Man with a birch, a birch rod. Yes, a piece of a birch tree, a big long piece of a birch tree. And you could be sentenced by the Isle of Man courts to eight strokes of a birch or 12 strokes of of a birch and you were given a, a public whipping with a birch tree. And maybe the guys who were taking part in the riot last Thursday night. Those fellas who were taking runners and clothes and terrifying people up and down O'Connell Street in Dublin, that they might be birched publicly.
Frank says it worked in the Isle of Man. I somehow can't in, you know, sort of with it and uh, enlightened and, dare I say, woke 2023. Frank, I can't see people uh, queuing up to bring back the birch, but I do see where you're coming from. And the idea of bringing the army in, I'd love to know, get more, more of your thoughts on that. If we did bring in the army for stuff like riots, if we did bring in the army for the sulky races in particular, and John makes an excellent point, as Shiona made an excellent point last week, as Tiffany made another great point about these sulky races, and the Sunday World carried a great coverage of it during the week. This is an organised series of sulky races, a competition, if you wouldn't mind, between here and the UK, and there is a final scheduled over the next few weeks. Do we want to be here Christmas week? And I don't. Do we want to be here Christmas week talking about a bad accident that happened with people seriously injured or worse as a result, as a direct result of disruption caused by a sulky race? Do we want to be in that position? No, we absolutely do not. Could it be that the guards need to get help from the army to quieten down the sulkies? Who knows? Your thoughts are welcome at 0818 96 96 96 on the Robin. Yeah, and look, I love them. They're gorgeous little things. And um, We have one that visits our garden. You'd see him on a cold, frosty morning when the sun is coming up and he'd be there scrabbling around for a bite to eat and the missus goes out with the crumbs from the breakfast and she throws it out and the Robin comes in. She goes, there's my dad's Robin. And I can remember seeing the Robin when we were out last year getting the Christmas tree out the Christmas tree farm. Good morning, Finton. Good luck with it all again this year. They'll be open soon out there if they're not open already. But the robin was following us around the Christmas tree farm. And I was saying, is it the same robin that you see every year? And we one or two uh, texts in on that. They are territorial, so the same robin will come back to the same place, but they don't live forever. So you're not seeing the same robin in the same place that you saw 20 years ago. But they do come back. But then, oh, thanks, I don't know, who, whose is this? PJ, it is the same Robin. They're very territorial. And they kill each other for territory. What? Little Robin, Re- little, gentle, lovely Robin Redbreast kills for territory? I'm shocked and horrified. I am shocked and horrified. The little Robin, the little Robin with the little red breast and the little... Look up at you like as if to say, can I have a crumb, please? Uh, kills each other. God. I'm shocked and horrified at that. 0818 96 96 96. We love catching up and we do from time to time catch up with people, Cork people, who are living and working abroad. Uh, and their lifestyles and how they live now. It's a fascinating series continuing in the echo. Timothy O'Mahony is talking to people around the country and we've we've caught up with a few of them on the back of uh, reading Tim's pieces. When I read his latest one, I recognised the name and I thought, no, that's a coincidence. The name was Gina Reedy. I remember a Gina Reedy. Then it was that she is married to a fellow called Rob from Ballancolig. I thought, I know that too. And she's originally from Galway and I go, I know that too. I said, I know that Gina Reedy. I worked with Gina Reedy because that Gina Reedy used to be here on 96 FM. Hello there. Good morning. I've been there, uh, yeah, I've been in uh, 96 for a good few years before I took off. I think it was 2002 I moved down to Cork. 
And I was there to about 2009, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was a, a good long time on the street fleet. Good fun had. And then you headed off traveling. I did. We went traveling. We did uh, the kind of studenting, but in our 30s. And we lived in Thailand for a while and lived in New Zealand and Australia and lived in San Francisco for a while and then came back to Ireland um, late 2010. Would you have a favorite among all those other places? Do you know what? Um, they were all so different. New Zealand is very like Ireland, apart from glaciers and stuff like that. But there's a lot of kind of very much kind of the sheep in Connemara looking parts to it. And that was kind of comforting, but very cold. Uh, Thailand was um, possibly one of my favourites. Yeah, we lived in Koh Samui for about four months and it was just, it was lovely. <laughs> you were chasing the sun, weren't you? California, Thailand. Just a bit, yeah. We we managed to, it was like a November, December time when we hit into uh, New Zealand and Australia and stuff like that. So we're kind of making sure we had a bit of warm weather all the way, all the way around. And then it was kind of summertime again by the time we got to San Francisco. So, yeah. And then you came back to Cork. And had you had your daughter at that stage or, or what? No, she was born in 2013. So we came back and we moved down to a place called Tregumna, just outside Skibbereen. We're there for a little while. and That's colder than Thailand now. It's lovely. But just it's... a touch. It was lovely. It was a lovely place to move to, actually, because we lived, um, I don't know if people know Tregumna, we lived just across the road from the pub and the beach and stuff. So it was, and it's such, the people there are lovely. It was a really nice kind of welcome back into Ireland. And we lived in Baltimore for a while and we've been to Glen Bay and Kerry for a year. And then we went up to Galway for a while and up to Ard and Barna there. Um, so, yeah, miss, missing the sunshine, still trying to get it, but it never happened. So uh, we came for on holiday for about, uh, I think Shiva was three, three months old. And we came over on a holiday and just fell in love with the place. It was lovely. Whereabouts are you? Because it's, it's an area that a lot of Cork people go to. So... Estepona, everyone knows. Whereabouts are you then? Yeah, so I'm bang on the border of Estepona and Marbella. So just about five minutes from San Pedro. Uh, lots of people, know, uh, lots of Irish come around there as well. So um, just bang in the middle of them all. So I have 10, 15 minutes to get into Marbella Old Town or 10 minutes into Estepona Old Town, which I love them both. So it's it's a nice central location and we're only a few minutes walk to the beach as well, which is lovely. It's very handy too that, uh, that Rob, your partner, is one of these fellas that can work anywhere in the world for anyone in the world, isn't it? Yes, that's that's enabled us to be, <laughs> to be a bit adventurous and travel around. Um, that's one thing here. You, you, the the pay wouldn't be great for kind of regular jobs. So luckily, we could bring contracts with us and such, which is very handy. And did you literally just say, Gina? Do you know what? This is nice. I'm not going home. Or did you put a bit of planning in between the holiday and the move? There was a bit of planning. It was a few months later. So that was Shiva. Would that would have been seven months later? We moved over. So what's life like? What do you do? We've started our own company. I've been involved in tourism here most of the time. So I do food and wine tours and history tours around Marbella Old Town, San Pedro Old Town. And then we do day excursions. So I try to give people the kind of their best day out. And we have a little adventure towards Tarifa and we do some horse riding on the beach and see all the Roman ruins and explore the town and eat our way through it as well. So my favourite thing is eating and talking. So 
I do remember you being very fond of history. Sure, you're in a place that's yes. full of it. Oh, it's brimming. It's You've got it from about 1500 BC right up. You've had, uh, because of where it is, of course, you're just at the uh, Pillars of Hercules, they call it, between Africa and Gibraltar. So it's been this part of Europe that everyone's wanted to control between the Romans and the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians and the Moors. There's There's been constant changing of civilizations coming here. So there's loads of history here as well. And it's influenced the food massively as well, which... I found very, very uh, enjoyable. There's a thing, you know, when you go on a holiday to a place, I think there's a tendency to sit by the beach and not bother to find out about the history. That's what you want to do, isn't it, Gina? You want people to say, listen, it's a great place. Don't sit by the beach all day. Don't sit by the pool. Come and see what you've come to. Exactly. Well, the thing about it is the old towns, people do come in the evening time. So during the day, they like to sit by the beach and then the evening have a wander because it's not that that's the beauty about this part of Spain. Everything is kind of in walking distance and you can walk. It's a four or five minute walk from the beach in Marbella just up into the old town. And you can come for a wander there. And just the atmosphere is fantastic there. It's always buzzing. It's always vibrant, even off season, because it's quite a large community living here all year round. It's not dependent on tourism. So there's always a vibe going on. And Spanish people love to go out and eat, they find. Is there a winter, Gina, as such, or or rather not like we'd know it at home? It's very different. Spaniards are in denial that there's, well, their builders are anyway, that there's winter. So there's no insulation in the houses and it's all marble floors, which is all lovely for the summer. But uh, there's no heating systems uh, in most houses. Uh, so we, at the moment we're using uh, things. Do you remember in your granny's house when you were young, you used to go in and th- there was that gas heater yeah. called the Super Super Sir. Sir. That's yeah. what most people, yeah, that's what most people use out here. So we turned it on for the first time last night. Okay. So during the day, if it's sunny out, it's beautiful. So it can go up to like 22 degrees, mm. but in the shade, it can be very, very cold. So you could have nearly a 10 degree drop right. just going around a corner. And then in the nighttime, it's starting to get cooler now. So it's down to about 13, but it'll go down to about nine degrees now next week. Right. But it'll still go up to 22 during the day. It's lovely. You get much rain now. Well, we're always wishing for the rain. Go November away. is usually the. Yeah. November is usually the. Um, we're in a drought at the moment. We have water restrictions. What? So, um, yeah, the, the, there's, um, this year's been the worst so far. Like, I remember 2016, it rained for six days straight. Mm-hmm. And the rain here is torrential rain. It's like really like monsoon. It's very, very heavy and you flash flooding. and It's all very dramatic. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't rained. We got a bit of rain last month. Very little over the summer. And then kind of November and Easter time would usually be our rainy times. But Easter time this year, it started off with a heat wave instead of the rain. And we just got heat wave after heat wave after heat wave. Mm. For a girl who ran away for the sun, it sounds like you get a small <laughs> bit tired of it, do you? No, no, you don't get tired of it. It's just the fact that you know it's so desperately needed. It's affected the olive crops yeah. and the almond crops and a lot of stuff like that. So you just know it's needed. So that's why it's like you'd be kind of wishing it for everyone. Will we notice that now, say, when we go off to the markets next year, that yeah, there mightn't be so much by way of fresh almonds or fresh olives or stuff like that? Oh, they still have it. They're just not as abundant and price has gone up. So, yeah. example, olive oil. Um, a bottle of olive oil, just regular 
olive oil to cook with used to be about two fifty three euro, right? And now that's that's about eight euro to buy. So it's different things like that. It's going. It's uh, definitely increased in price. And do you do stuff? I mentioned markets. Would you do things now, like bring people to a market and talk them through all the stalls and you know the the history of the oh, area? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we go. I go to the market here. Um, I've my, one of my favorite restaurants actually is in there. It's a guy called Paco, and he's a fourth generation fishmonger, but he's an unbelievable chef as well. And he's got this tiny little fish stall, and you go and you tell him what it's one of those you'd walk by it if you didn't know. And you just sit down. I just tell him to do what he wants to do. And he'll give me kind of small dishes of everything. And the food is amazing. The best prawns I've ever had in my life. And they, they would have been caught just like six hours before you eat them. And he cooks them to perfection. They're just so soft and sweet. They're absolutely divine. So it's, I love bringing people there. That's a kind of a sharing and experience. And everyone, if they come back, they always go back to them because it's such a special thing. Or you bring them to fruit and veg stalls and you kind of show them the tomatoes and they get to taste the proper tomatoes. Like that's what it's supposed to taste like, especially for Americans. That's really mind opening for them. What do the Americans think of it all? My favourite is when they've just arrived and you're kind of trying to tell them you just sit down, relax, because they're so used to having to eat quickly and leave. And you explain to them in Spain here you don't, you're never going to be given the bill unless you ask for it. You sit down at the table and you have that table for as long as you want. There's no rush. It's like tranquil, my favourite word out here. It's like, chill out, relax. And you just see the shoulders start to go down and people relaxing and then relishing the food instead of eating it really quickly, they start to taste it and enjoy it. And it's lovely, very, very, uh, kind of nearly a religious experience. You don't miss us at all, do you, Gina? <laughs> Ah, oh, no, I, I enjoy my time coming back. We usually get back for about three weeks in the, at Christmas time, although we won't be doing it this year. We're too busy. And we usually do um, the month of August as well. We'd come back for as well because it's very hot here at that time of year. You won't be home for Christmas, no? Not this year. We've um, we've had two Christmases out here now, but that was due to COVID. But um, we have a few bits on at the moment that we can't get back this year. But it's nice to have our own Christmas as well, though. Yeah, Christmas in Spain is it's very different, but they take it really seriously, don't they? Oh, my goodness, yes. The, so the lights, the Christmas lights in Malaga are stunning. So they went on last Friday. They have a big ceremony that happens. And then they have a light show that goes on three times a night with music. And the whole uh, Calle Larias, which is the main shopping street there, it's pedestrianised. And it's just thousands of people coming to watch the lights and everyone's in this Christmas mood. It's lovely. Mm. So here in Marbella and Estepona on Friday, we have the same going again. So the, in Estepona, they do it at the Orchidarium and there'll be a free concert and all the kids will be there. And the same with Marbella. They're going to have um, the old town. They'll have a little parade go through it. And then they'll have the, um, uh, I think it's a free flamenco show they have on in the main park there as well. Deadly. In Spain, they don't really, uh, well, they'll go to Santa, but they also um, send letters. The kids send letters to the three kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a big thing. So that's more, that's more, yeah, that's more important, I think, for the Spanish kids than Santa is for the rest of the European kids. I, I suppose Shiva is now as Spanish as Tapas itself, is she, yeah? Do you know what? She's hilarious. She practices her Irish accent for when she comes home. Get away! 
<laughs> yeah, she loves, she's very proud of her Irishness. Um, I had a friend up in Galway there a few years ago. He designed this bear, a teddy bear. I think it was called Bobog Bear. And you could learn Irish off it. So it did numbers and colours and stuff like that. So she, she still has that and hits off it every now and then. And she's doing Duolingo, trying to keep up. She's a little bit of Irish. So I think there's that thing about being away from Ireland. You're kind of really into your heritage. So she started GA there now lately as well. There's a big GA club here, the Costa Gales. It's every Sunday morning. It's like, oh, why Sunday morning? But Sunday mornings, she's got training and they're uh, adult teams do very well and there's competitions all around Europe as well and they travel in tournaments and stuff it's very popular hmm. If somebody wants to book for next summer they can get bookings in early heycostatours.com there's your free commercial Oh thank you very much yeah you can get on uh, check it out I have lots of blogs going up constantly as well uh, with information about the place so you can find out about stuff and there's lots of new tours going to be added on in the next few weeks as well so busy times do you miss the radio at all? Well, do you know, I get paid to talk still, so it's not that different. <laughs> Gina, it's great to catch up after all these years. You might just have out and there. you too. Enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, PJ. Take care. I'll try to bring some back at some oh, stage. do, do. See you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. See you, Gina. Hopefully see you in the new year. Don't be a stranger. Pop in and say hello if you're passing when you're home. Uh, Gina Reedy, formerly of the Street Fleet, and she used to do some some presenting here on 96FM all those years ago. HeyCostaTours.com If you want to find out about the kind of tours she does, tapas and wine and food and history and all that. And there's a lovely, that piece that uh, Timmy's done, uh, echolive.ie, you'll find pictures there. That was the last thing I looked at. That is Gina! It's great to catch up with an old colleague from, from years ago. She mentioned the GAA and the Costas. You'd wonder, have they got the same club rules as we were talking about <clears throat> yesterday? And I must, before I have before I finish, I have another little GAA story. It's kind of personal, and I have to tell you, because there's a big thrill in, in Coogan Towers about it at the moment. 0818 Big Drive Home with Izzy Showbizzy. So on Courts 96FM. Join me weekdays from 4pm for more singing voice notes. Hello, would you mind playing Dermot Kennedy and Kiss Me The Way? More chances for you to win amazing prizes. Correct! Congratulations! <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. I can't wait. I love Curtis House. I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm laughing here away. I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> I love it. And all of the best music too. Join me weekdays from 4pm. The Big Drive Home. With Clonakilty Food Company. Spikeball, tacos, pizza. Clonakilty Black Pudding is the making of any meal. So go on, be a rebel. Cork's 96 FM. 96 FM. Gina's mentioning of the the Costa Gales there in GA. Reminded me of uh, the story we were talking about yesterday and it got legs on social media uh, has developed huge legs on social media we still don't know well the GA writers know what the club is and the more you listen to it the more you think into it and read into it other clubs are sort of strict too these were the rules that we talked about yesterday from a particular club in the west of Ireland that said 
Anyone wanting to go to Australia, America or Canada for the summer couldn't be part of the 2024 senior panel. No holidays were allowed during the championship season of June to October. Unapproved holidays, suspension from the panel. No drinking, June to October. Unapproved drinking, suspension. And no other sports after June. No soccer, no golf, no rugby, no athletics. Not allowed. You're on the team, you're in the squad, you're loyalties to the club. Now, it all looks a bit harsh and a bit overly professional, I would have thought. Kevin says, who the hell do the GAA think they are dictating to amateurs what they can and can't do with their lives? If you want that level of control, pay them. Otherwise, just select people on their merit. And then with stuff like this, my partner plays with a local club. These are all expected rules. It's not written down, but it's always been there. We have to plan holidays around the season. Last year, he couldn't commit 100% because of exams and working full-time. He was dropped and made sit on the bench. He couldn't make all the training. He was penalised for it. These are meant to be club and team events, but they don't cater to anyone working extra hours or extra shift work, and they don't cater for children either. They don't like drinking, but if a team wins a match, they'll go on the tear. It isn't okay, though, for them to have a few drinks with their family. PJ, 17 years ago when I was 21, my football team did a holiday ban. We couldn't play other sports. There was a ban on drinking. This is 17 years ago. Um, I followed the rules and regretted it. I got injured at the start of the season, lost my place in the team. You can't follow those rules and then get nowhere, can you? I was at an age group where all my friends gave up and minor and after under 21. I wasn't that close to my current teammates and I was making commitments for lads I didn't know and maybe even didn't like. I did a J1 the following year and I got ignored by the club. I finished up playing at the age of 23. PJ, it was always going to be that way with the clubs. Have you seen a junior B team lately? The days of the 17-year-old, 50-year-old taxi driver, 17-stone, 50-year-old taxi driver playing corner back because he still has a half-decent pair of boots, junior B, they're long gone. It's all youngsters now who couldn't cut it at the top level and a sprinkle of retired top players. It's a great standard. Terrible for the lesser fit, though. Uh, it's all top athletes now at senior Gaelic and football level, and that's from Finbar. And this has kind of silently been happening in clubs for a few years now. You'd wonder, is it is it overly professionalising an amateur game? Before I leave the topic of GAA, as you know, in Coogan Towers, we are a Nemo family. Um, my brother, obviously, and his family far more involved in Nemo than I. Um, uh, but we're Nemo supporters, all the Coogans. Of course we are. You'll have seen at the weekend, or you might have seen if you're into GA, Nemo Rangers won the Cork Junior A Hurling Championship. Big day for Nemo, not recognised widely as a hurling club, but they did win the Cork Junior A Hurling Final at the weekend, beating Harbour Rovers at 114 to 112. Great match. Great excitement, great occasion. On that team, on Sunday, was my nephew and godson, Jack Coogan. Again, that might mean nothing to you. That's fair enough. The last time Nemo won that title was 23 years ago, in 2020. The last time they won the Junior A hurling. And on that team, 
was Jack's dad, my brother John. So there's the connection. I, be- I bet you there ain't too many families around with a 23-year connection between father and son winning the same hurling title. There's one to talk about. Right, let's do this. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas. Loads and loads and loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees to be given away over the next couple of weeks. We've already had one winner going forward from the opinion line. Let's see, can we do another one? We play it every day after 8, 11, 2 and 5. We pick qualifiers for the daily draw and the draw happens after 6 with Hizzy on the big drive home and there are two shopping sprees to give away every day. All brought to you by your local credit union helping you have a wonderful Christmas and it's only on Cork's 96 FM. There's a password every day. You have to remember the password and text it in with your name. We're going to conceal this time. Hello, Tom. Tom. Hiya, how's it going? Tom Byrne. Tom, what, what is the password, sir? Rudolph. Rudolph it is indeed. All right, Tom Byrne and Kinsale, that puts you through into the draw with Izzy this evening. But you're a big Christmas fan, I am told. Oh, yeah, can't wait. Now we have the tree up since the toy show there on Friday. Right. Yeah, we got ours up on Saturday. And have you have you smallies? Uh, one daughter, yeah. Okay. What age is she? Uh, six. Six. Oh, God, it's a really exciting time then the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. She's oh, living. Yeah, Who's wait. the bigger child, though, Tom? Definitely me now, especially said she wanted Barbie and Ken, you know. I saw that, yeah, yeah. Oh, you must have been your <laughs> element watching the toy show, so with Barbie and Ken. like I was in a DeLorean there going back to the past. You haven't. You haven't got a DeLorean. <laughs> I felt like I was in one. Time machine. <laughs> <laughs> if you're too young, look it up. And the movie will be on, the, on telly over the Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> so, you're all set. Three up since the toy show. Will it just be the one tree? Ah, uh, yeah, stick to the one. Tradition in the sitting room. In the sitting room, yeah, no, we do four. But that's just Ooh, well, that's just because I'm a small bit mad. There you, you go. All plastic right. ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, we've one big real one and then load plastic ones. And we, might put another enough, re- yeah. we might put a real one out the back if I can get a, a nice little one. It's just to go a bit mad, you know yourself. Tom, you're through to the draw with Izzy this evening, all right? Cheers. All right, Appreciate and thank who, you very much. Cheers. That's Tom Bourne. Ink and Sale will be in the draw for the Cork's 96 10k toy giveaway with your local credit union. Izzy makes the draw after six. Simon has more qualifiers after two and Izzy herself will have a qualifier after five. And then the draw is after six with two toy shopping sprees every day. It's back for another year and already great excitement of an evening. 0818 96 96 96. On Law and Order, Stephen says... And this is the question people were asking earlier. Should it should we call in the army to maybe monitor the sulky races and get them off the road or call in the army for riots and troublemakers downtown? Because the power is there under a thing called the Age of Civil Power and all of that. We can do it. Should we do it? Stephen says no. I'll read that message next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Yeah, I'll come to Stephen's message about the army in a while, but did you hear the story of Toby the Turtle? You can't have missed it. It was all over the papers, and uh, I think it made the television news as well over the last few days. Toby was a little turtle who washed up on a beach in Kerry, totally like out of bounds 
There's no reason for Toby the turtle to be anywhere near a beach in Kerry. He has been flown home now on a special flight to the Azores. The if you don't mind, of which I'll find out more in a sec. But believe it or not, there's another t- another turtle has been handed in now at Dingle Ocean World. I'm joined by Kevin Flannery. Not just not not no sooner have you Toby safely back in the Azores <laughs> that you've got another one. First of all, right. tell me about Toby because how did he end up be washed up on a beach in Kerry? Logically, he shouldn't have survived that trip, should he, Kevin? No. Not at all, PJ. Thanks for having me on. It was basically that, look, an odd time, these turtles, because they're loggerhead turtles, they hatch out in the in the Gulf of Mexico and they go out onto the Saragossa Sea. They live in the weed there because they have millions and millions of tons of this Saragossa weed and they thrive and they live off of little bits of jellyfish and that kind of stuff. But they get great storms and everything in America is great. And they, these big storms and hurricanes come and they push the poor turtles north. Now, turtles are marine reptiles and they require a temperature of 20 plus for them to keep moving. Basically, mm. they wouldn't be able to move or survive or do anything if they are not 20 degrees. Their internal organs have to go up to that. But when they get pushed north, as we all know, the water gets colder and they go get comatose. They go into a thing called cold shock. Mm. Along the east coast of the States, they collect a lot of them and they ship them back down. But sometimes they get washed over here to the Irish coastline and to Scotland and Cornwall and those places. Mm-hmm. And this year, this lady at the Griffin was walking in the beach of Maharis and she found a baby one. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated how this little tiny creature, it was only 350 grams, wow. survived yeah. all the way across the Atlantic and climbed up onto the beach in Maharis, exhausted. Oh, he cl- he had the, he was able to like he wasn't washed yes. in on the water. He would have climbed up. He just came into the beach, I suppose, absolutely exhausted, the poor little thing. And she picked it up and rang us, and we're quite used to it because I've been at it with the last forty years before we had the equipment. I had him in the bath at home. That was the only way we could get him recovered. So you've got to get. Would you believe it? Take him out of the Atlantic. You have to give him a saline solution to bring him back to life, and you've got to get the temperature up slowly. Slowly, slowly, so that they recover and clean them out and then get the air out of them and then start feeding them. And that's what we've done. Poor little different. Toby. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to consider, PJ, that they grow up to over 200, maybe two to 300 kilos in weight. Yeah, I've I've seen, I've I've never actually seen a fully grown one. I've seen a half fully grown in an aquarium, but I've never seen a fully grown one. Yeah, and I, but so where how it survived across the Atlantic, and anyway, it's three hundred. And once we doubled its weight, once we got it feeding, eating, and we got the saline solution into them, we have it since August. So we said, look, let's release it back into the wild. When it survived this long, it's entitled to go back into the wild, Absolutely. and that's what we've done. Yeah, and we made arrangements with the people in in the Azores and a company called Flying Sharks. And they contacted Portuguese Airways, and Portuguese Airways were doing cargo out of Dublin, but we said we couldn't put it in the cargo hold because, again, you drop the pressure, you drop the temperature. So we said, yeah. if the pilot was willing to take it, basically with him, which he agreed, in, in, in the, the little box, in Isn't... the cockpit, 
and he flew it on down to Lisbon and it was collected in Lisbon yesterday and it arrived at the Azores last night. And he's swimming, swimming in water that's more suitable to him oh, and the best to look to Toby. Yeah. Is he marked in case anyone would find him in the we future? Haven't, we haven't, we're not allowed, well, we're allowed a tag on him, a pit tag, an internal one, much like you do with a dog. I see. So at some stage, if uh, if he comes ashore, because basically it's only the female that will come ashore to lay her eggs, maybe when she's 23 or 24 years of age. All right. So maybe by then. Maybe it might happen. Right. And then you found another fight. one. And then we get a call last Thursday from Shea Farrell walking on the beach in Lewisburg, and he found another one. County and Mayo. this one was in a bad state altogether, worse off. But by Saturday, we had to transport it down, and we got uh, the, our local vets that works with us in the aquarium, and we got the saline solution into it, and we heated the saline solution and got it back up, and it's feeding. Oh, and, and how it, old is this one? This one's only about the same. This is 400 grams. Good Lord. Tiny this little This is the things. third one we had this year because the other one went down with the Navy. Kroger went down with the Naval Service when they were going to their humanitarian... I remember that one too. Yes. yes. It's the third yeah. one. This year. And you've christened this yeah. little one Maya. So she, Maya. she'll be around for a while. She'll be around until after Christmas and hopefully this time Erling Lingus might decide to carry it down for us down to... There's a turtle hospital in the Canaries because quite a lot of the turtles... When they're young, that they get injured by speedboats and that's right, yeah. else there. So it's a turtle they, hospital. Hospital, yes. <laughs> Where because they actually the, the the carapace, the shell gets damaged by boats because these guys fall asleep on top of the water resting. That's right. And they do. Uh, next thing, a boat would just hop off it and damage it and crack the shell. But they put it all together and they resuscitate most of them and help them out and put them back. And that's where I hope to get this fellow back down to. Hopefully, once it has doubled its weight, that's the area we aim for. All right. Well, listen, best of luck with that and continue the remarkable work that you do down at Dingle Ocean World. It's a long time since I was there now, but I think I'll make a promise to myself next spring or summer, we're going to get down and see them. Fascinating work. Kevin Flannery. Thank you. 0818969696. All right. What's on? What word is missing here? Yeah, we're with Foot Solutions all this week. Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade. 200 euro gift cards every day so you can have the perfect gift of happy, healthy feet this Christmas. We were looking for the word left out. Alright, Sharon Clark is in Douglas. What is left out, Sharon? Hi, Peter. It's due. Yeah, we'll see. Do You're right. So you have our 200 euro voucher. Four foot solutions on the Grand Parade. The gift of happy, healthy feet this Christmas. Sharon, thank you. All the too brief a call there, but Sharon's our winner today. We have another one tomorrow, another song with a word left out. That, though, is it from us. I do believe that's it. It is. That's the size of it. Programme edited by Imra Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Paul, your podcast's up a little bit later. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.